Hello and welcome to this episode of the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm here with Ben Maloney, who is new on Instagram. So if you want to follow him for some impeccable cheekbones, oh, <laughs> please follow him on ben.maloney. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like, what a creative username. It took I me know, right? to think that. <laughs> I'm also, as you can hear, joined by Daniel Hogan, Are who you? is... <laughs> I think so. I hope so. It was a very skilled conductor, triple award-winning composer. Oh, and yeah. during lockdown, he enjoyed reenacting scenes from Bridget Jones as both uh, Bridget Jones and Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Which could could have been seen on TikTok, but I sadly took it off. Uh Oh, well, have you, I hope you got, uh, I think you actually sent me copies or something, so. Oh, so if, if you want, um, if you want a copy, I'm sure Ben will distribute it out, but, uh, I've been really looking forward to this episode with the fantastic composer and pianist Tom Carr, who I met at the Junior Royal Academy of Music, and we have collaborated a few times, um, I've been very lucky to premiere some of his compositions with the Watford Youth Symphonia, and I'm really excited for this episode because we share a lot of the same music taste really and i'm really looking forward to hearing what you've chosen so welcome tom welcome to the nobel peace prize thank you dan it's a pleasure okay so our word for this week is anxious so we have all chosen pieces that relate to that word um tom what did you think about when you were thinking about pieces that you could choose i suppose there were there, there are kind of two options here of whether I wanted to choose a piece that that made me feel anxious or a piece that I suppose did the opposite that consoled me um, if I um, if I was feeling in that state um, and I've kind of managed to choose pieces that are a little bit of both um, I think uh, of introducing a kind of anxious state and then um, then resolving them. That is a very clever way of looking at it. <laughs> the best of both words. <laughs> The first piece I'd like to talk about is uh, the Piano Quintet um, of 1976 by Alfred Um He was a Russian composer. He was taught by Shostakovich. And so lots of his early music sounds a lot like um, Shostakovich. But then he develops his own kind of very idiosyncratic style um, with lots and lots of chromatic clusters and also lots of references to uh, earlier music. Um, he develops a kind of polystylism where he uh, jumps between um, popular styles and classical styles. Um, and so this piano quintet, he wrote this uh, in memory of his mother who had recently died from a stroke on the streets of Moscow. This is potentially the first time that Schnitke based a piece of music on an event in his life rather than on an abstract compositional idea or motif. Um, there are five movements and although Schnitke doesn't directly make this connection, I like to think that they could be mapped onto the five stages of grief which are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Uh, the fifth movement, which I've chosen an excerpt from, uh, is, is therefore the one that's associated with the last of these five stages, acceptance. Um, after four increasingly chromatic dissonant movements, which I think convey a spiraling into anxiety and depression, um, Schnitke steps back into a much more reflective and almost tonal consonant sound world at the start of this last movement. The pianist plays a haunting folk-like melody and repeats this identically 14 times. When the strings enter, they play music that seemingly has little to do with that played by the pianist, or they play as much more dissonant and evocative of passages in the previous movements. One passage that really stands out to me is a snippet of the waltz from the second movement, um, which quotes the bark cipher, B-flat, A, 
C, B natural. Um, the relationship between what the piano plays and what the strings play is similar to the relationship between the various sections of the orchestra in um, Charles Ives' uh, famous orchestral piece, The Unanswered Question. Mm. All of the sections are harmonically independent and this creates a really unsettled, anxious atmosphere. Uh, ultimately, the string parts resolve onto a D-flat major chord, the same harmony that's very strongly implied by the pianist's melody, which provides some kind of sense of closure at the end of the piece. And I think, um, which is why for me, it's associated with that, that last of the five stages of grief, the stage of accept. It's just wonderful that you have that kind of comfort blanket of D-flat major that just kind of retains till the end. So however dissonant the strings get, you have that beautiful harmony underneath. Mm, that just to ground it. For comfort. Very, very yeah. beautiful music. And the moment where, where all of the strings resolve onto that final D-flat major chord. Yeah. I get exactly what you mean about before that, that sort of feeling of unease. It's like understated anxiety, isn't it? It's like... Mm. Mm. I think if I if I was going for the the kind of the movement which reflects the most acute anxiety, that would be the fourth movement. But I, I wanted I wanted this one because it's almost more more complex, having having that peacefulness, mm. that angst at the same time. Absolutely, because when you are going through that anxiety and that angst, it's the peacefulness you're searching for that you crave and that yeah. you need, and that that's yeah. the movement that gives it to you. That comfort yeah. of the D flat major is beautiful. I like really that. beautiful. Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my, my second choice, uh, which is uh, the work Wie ein Kind by uh, Norgard. Um, he wrote this in 1980. Uh, around 1980, uh, he was becoming very fascinated with the work of the schizophrenic um, Swiss artist Adolf Wolfli, who was confined to an asylum from 1895 until his death in 1930. Wolfley was a very prolific painter, poet, and producer of idiosyncratically notated musical scores. Um, Nor Norgard was uh, particularly interested in the fractal nature of Wolfley's paintings. It was a property that they shared with his own music in the 1970s, which made extensive use of a musical fractal called the Infinity Series. The Vegan Lied, uh, which is the first of these uh, three pieces in V Ein Kind, uh, is not so mathematically determined. Instead, it embraces chaos and conflict. 
Norgard sets, sets Wolfley's words, um, which are a childlike nonsense text, and mostly he uses consonant harmonies. But in between the choral settings of the text, vocal soloists make pain wailing noises. The title vegan lead means lullaby, and there is certainly a connection with childhood, but it isn't a relaxing listen. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Well, another great <laughs> example of extreme contrast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because then um, what's happening underneath is quite stable. And then <laughs> these kind of outcries in the solo voices are quite... Yeah, I mean, as someone who uh, is obsessed with acapella music, I actually really, <laughs> really did like that. I really enjoyed that as uh, well, yeah. yeah the um... Ein Kind, is that like a child? Like a child, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... So that's kind of reflecting the words, which are all just, um, they're all nonsense. Nonsense syllables, right. Yeah. Getting, getting, yeah. <laughs> really strange. I might have to go and take a look at some of the paintings by Adolf Wolfie. Um, mm -hmm. So you say that he was a schizophrenic Swiss artist, and I imagine that really came across in his artwork. Mm. Yeah, he was very, very, very prolific. He uh, made about... What kind of thing did he paint? Uh, so... They're they quite they're quite abstract generally. Um, uh, lots of yeah, lots of lots of fractals. So shapes which um, which kind of uh, repeat themselves uh, on larger and larger scales. It's kind of like when you what what are those when you look through like a kaleidoscope, you kind of get those those kind of fractal patterns spreading out that kind of thing. Yeah, completely. Kaleidoscopic is already a good description. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel that mine needs a bit of a parental guidance warning, as it's going to get a little graphic. This, okay, I have warned you. If anyone has any complaints, then I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we can get on the Ofcom register by the end of the series or something. I'll put the explicit rating on. The... Yeah, we, we'll need to do that. We'll need. To. <laughs> um, but yes, I've gone for anxiety in the form of fear and frenzy with my choice, which is circuses, the first movement from Roman festivals by Rossigi which I have to admit is probably one of the most thrilling pieces I've ever had the privilege to conduct. And it was actually in the same concert that I had the honour of premiering one of Tom's pieces for the first time, which was your piece, Chasm. So um, we've, well, uh, yeah, I think you were Tom playing Fox. clarinet when we did that together. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. it was it was thrilling. And it was definitely uh, somewhat anxiety inducing. Yes. There we go. I've won already. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. <laughs> I mean, yeah, talk about um, 
anxiety of actually it's anxious you get anxious playing it we only had what two or three days to do that piece your mm. chasm till ulenspiegel by strauss and Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto with isotic animation so you know it's quite a pretty much sums up wis really it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> high pressure high high stakes but high reward absolutely i mean honestly yeah. i think conducting that was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life but um so yes, the first of the ancient Roman festivals that Respighi depicts is the brutal theatre of gladiators and martyrs fighting for their lives against wild beasts. It is set at the Circus Maximus, which was the largest stadium in the world and could hold an audience of 150,000. So you can certainly get an idea for the magnitude of these events and how audiences of the time got a thrill from such violent shows. Respighi himself actually gave programme notes for this opening movement, and he said... The iron doors are unlocked, the strains of a religious song and the howling of wild beasts mingle in the air. The crowd comes to its feet in frenzy. Unperturbed, the song of the martyrs gathers strength, conquers, and then is drowned in the tumult. So, I think that Respighi's depiction of this in music is absolutely thrilling, and to be honest, absolutely terrifying as well. How he builds up the tension and the anxiety to its absolute limits for me has to be some of the most awesome and monstrous and indeed graphic music in the entire repertoire. So at the beginning of the extract I'm going to play, we have this plain chant-like melody representing the Christian martyrs, which starts to become more desperate as they are awaiting their fates. The orchestration around it is intensifying and intensifying as we get increasingly insistent snarly brass interjections and the pounding of drums. You can hear that the martyrs are trying so desperately to retain some strength and faith, but as the interjections become more persistent and the tempo continues to increase mercilessly, the anxiety and the tension of the music is reaching a point where some sort of collapse seems absolutely inevitable. Instead, we return to the outcries and the trumpet fanfares that started the work, symbolising the real battle beginning, and the horrific tension is maintained by this harsh bitonality between C minor and B major, emphasised by being held down as a pedal in the organ, with chaotic frenzy in the rest of the orchestra, before the martyrs clearly reach their end with several violent thuds. It's truly chilling, and I find it hard to believe it wouldn't have a listener gripped with anxiety as they are taken through the horrifying events and then leave them chilled to the core by the end of the movement. Mm. Let's hear some, shall we?
there's no doubt about the outcome of that battle. It's, uh, I mean, they have literally been plummeted to the floor. But just the build-up to the return of those fanfares, just how it intensifies and intensifies and feels like it could literally collapse. I don't know any like more anxiety-building climax in music, to be honest. So <laughs> there you go. That is my choice. <laughs> and when, when you're performing it, you genuinely feel like you're going to self-implode or something <laughs> because <laughs> suddenly just doing movements with your hands isn't enough for the amount of angst and anger that you need to give it. Okay, so uh, I'm skipping back quite a bit further in time um, and yet again, that actually seems like a bit of a theme on this podcast, but um, my country of choice is, is here, England, again. Um, and uh, we're going back to the 16th century, which I haven't done anything this early yet on the podcast, but for those of you that don't know me, this is where I basically live normally. <laughs> um, so we're, we're looking at Elizabethan music here. And this is some some of the music that was kind of at the forefront of the Elizabethan avant-garde movement. Now, that sounds like a really strange thing to say in the 21st century, but there was, sure enough, a kind of movement or that you could call an avant-garde of, of composers just doing lots of weird things in the and some sometimes stuff that we sort of still don't even do now really, um, and one of the composers who was doing that uh, who was the most prolific with that kind of output was Christopher Ty Ty one of my favourite com- composers from that era, and one of the most popular genres of instrumental music at that time was the in nomine. So um, going back to the sort of 1520s, 30s, John Taverner, you might have heard of John Taverner, not the new one, the old one, (laughs) the one with the R, um, wrote uh, a mass on the Gloria TB Trinitas plain song. So, you know, often like you you would have a cantus firmus in a mass, a melody round which the mass was composed. And he used the plain plain chant from Gloria TB Trinitas. And in the uh, in nomine, the, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, blah, 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 that stuff. Um, he did a little kind of passage where it was reduced to four-part counterpoint and the top part has the, this cantus firmus. It goes on. That It's a famous popular um, melody. And uh, for some reason, people just really liked the passage. I think it was the texture of it, something. And so loads of instrumental arrangements popped up in the early 16th century of this, just this passage from the mass. And it got so popular that, pe- that it became a style, like the in nomine, people would write these contrapuntal instrumental pieces with one part playing this plain, plain song. I don't know why it caught on so much, but it became basically, Taverner started the most uh, abundant form of instrumental music in England. And um, Ty wrote 24, I think, of these things that survive, these are nominees, about all kinds of different topics. Um, they've got all sorts of weird different names. And he, um, uh, he wrote, well, definitely in terms of performance anxiety, some of them are through the roof. There's one called um, Sit Fast for three, in three parts. There's one called Hold Fast in I think it's five or six parts, but these names already implying that it's kind of 
your main objective as a player is just to play your part without messing up <laughs> because that's hard enough. Um, and I thought they're quite short, so I thought I'd play you just a couple of these. I'm only going to count the second one as my entry, but um, but just so that you can hear um, the sort of stuff he was doing. These actually aren't the weirdest ones, believe it or not, but they're a couple of my favourite ones. So this one is called Trust. Um, you can hear the uh, Innominate tune in the second part, so like the kind of alto part. And it's called trust literally because you basically have to just trust that your fellow player is in the right place because there's no other way to do it. <laughs> um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll clue you up. Basically, the reason this piece is so crazy is because by the end of it, metrically, you if you're listening, especially for the first time, you have no idea what's going on. But um, the, the plain chant part is playing in five, and the other parts are not, <laughs> really. Um, so it's a bit mental. And there's a there's a bit at the end, right in the in the last sort of quarter of the piece, where there's some kind of big hemiola figure, but in five, and I've no idea how it works, but just <laughs> enjoy the craziness of this music. Basically, most of the editions of this stuff, they don't have bar lines, so that just makes it more confusing. So you're really just like, it is a bit a bit of a frantic experience playing it. But that's not my um, submission. My submission for you is uh, another nominee by Ty called Cry. Now, it sounds like the emotion should be sad or something, but actually, I think it refers to crying like the town crier. So... Um, there's a piece by Gibbons, Orlando Gibbons, the best named composer in history, <laughs> um, who uh, he wrote this kind of anthem type thing called The Cries of London, which is um, a five, I think it's five part, uh, instrumental piece of singers where uh, it's kind of conjuring up the sights and sounds of the streets of London in the in the 16th century. You know, they're all shouting, like, get your oysters here and but all that kind of stuff, you know, people selling stuff. But you get the sense from the Gibbons that um, 
this incredibly frantic, like the pace of um, public life and that um, you could feel a bit anxious, the amount of people pestering you and shouting at you and the stuff that's going on. And I think um, Ty kind of uses that because the main theme, well, obviously the main theme is the nominee, but the theme in the other parts here is this really kind of frantically scattered, repeated figure, which is like the the cries coming at you from all these different angles. And so this is my this is my piece for you. It's wonderful. All those um, tremolos near the the start, the kind of persistence of that makes it sound like a field of cicadas almost. <laughs> yeah, I like that analogy. But yeah, that's exactly the kind of slightly frenetic, slightly um, pe like pestering kind of yeah. sound that I was yeah that I was thinking of. But there you go. That's me. So yeah, um, loving lots of those false relations and lots of rhythmic fun as well. So. <laughs> right. um, um, well, I believe it's judging time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The final verdict. Okay. Um, well, I obviously knew there was Spiggy before, and I didn't know the tie. I I didn't know of tie at all. Hmm. Um, and that, I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised, and I will definitely go and listen to um, much more of his music now. Glad to um, hear it. Yeah. The, I think in terms of the visceral, visceral reaction that they gave me and which, which made me feel more on edge. I don't think there was quite so much competition on, on that front. I think it's, it's got to be the Respighi. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was there I agree. the whole time. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> really, really um, worrying that it was, <laughs> that the whole thing might collapse. You feel, you feel yeah. even when you know the piece. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Respighi actually asked for, I think they're called Buccini, which are Buccini or something, uh, which were kind of Roman battle trumpets <laughs> back in the day. Um, and yet they're, they're off stage, so you kind of have them from a balcony over the audience. So you have the theatrical aspect of kind of like the trumpets heralding the battle starting from somewhere above you. So, Tom, what's your favourite extended technique? 
I think it's uh, got to be multiphonics, but specifically multiphonics on the bass clarinet are really wonderful nice. because they can actually get at a um, at a reasonable dynamic, at the dynamic that you can play normal notes. At. What is the composition you're most proud of as of yet? I think it's got to be my um, my wind sextet, um, it's written for five of my um, my friends at university. Um, we all, all performed it together and um, I'd written it specifically for them. And I think that had really um, meant I could, I could know exactly what each of them, each of their strengths were and, um, and what they like as well. So I kind of wrote, wrote parts that were, were in, in character for each of them. So slightly different. What's, what's your favorite method of travel? What's your favorite way to travel? By bike, I think. Um, I, oh, nice. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, both both for the purpose of getting somewhere and for the purpose of getting lost. I think it's um... <laughs> <laughs> does both equally well. And this exercise. All right. So, musician that's inspired you most as a composer. This could be a mentor or you know, composer further in the past. But uh... so I, I've 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 got to mention you, and you have um, massively inspired me. Um, you didn't oh. have to say that. I know, <laughs> no, I know I didn't have to, but I'm going to. Oh, um, yeah. That's so Thank you. Thank you. So, you, Dan Hogan. Um, uh, also, Adam Swain, who uh, we were both um, mentored by. Um, yeah, and a composer he introduced um, me to, Frederick Chevsky, as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Monumental size of his. Or <laughs> <laughs> inspiring. Yeah. yeah. Next, uh, what's your favourite Christmas carol? There you go. Um, ooh. or maybe you hate them all. That's okay. It's a tough well. one. Um, <laughs> I I very much like in the bleak midwinter. Um, Good choice. Uh, in the holst setting. The holst setting. Oh, that's not a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It's wonderful. Uh, yeah. What board game are you most likely to win? Absolute Boulder Dash. I'm very good at lying. Fair play. Never played it myself, but I'll make either, it actually, never to play you. It sounds good. <laughs> Describe yourself in one word. That's quite a tough one. But... Unpin downable, I'm going to go for. Just because That's great. That's a great word. And the fact that you invented... Or is it a word? I'm guessing it's not. I think I think it's a word. I think it's oh, okay. Unpi- it it should, be. should be now. <laughs> I'll contact Oxford straight away. You've got some contacts there, haven't you, You'll Tom? be down there. Yeah, you'll be there anyways. <laughs> if you could... Um, Ask our listeners to go away. I say our listeners, there'll be like four or five people, mostly our parents. <laughs> <laughs> if you could ask our listeners to go away and listen to one composer or musical figure, dead or alive, that should be we should be raving more about, but they don't get the attention they deserve, who would it be? Uh, Janacek, definitely. Yes, good. Yeah, yes, good I'm so glad you said that. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, the the piano music doesn't get played enough. Should be played absolutely. Um, so in the mists and uh, what's the on an overgrown path? On an overgrown path, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they just did cutting little vixen at RNCM actually, oh, which is good. That's what I die for. Yeah, yeah, that's the piece that got me into Janicek, and then I fell completely madly in love with you know symphonietic, glagolitic mass, the piano works, the string quartets. I mean, what a composer. But anyway, that that is it. Thank you ever so much, Tom, for coming on. It's been brilliant talking to you. I've loved your music choices and the way you've spoken about them. So thank you ever so much. Yeah, and thank you for listening to us waffle as well. <laughs> well thank you. It's been, a pleasure. Nice. it's been a pleasure. <laughs> so thank you for joining us for another episode of the Noble Peace Prize.
Tune in next week when we'll be joined by amazing pianist, accompanist and lecturer from the University of York, Mark Hutchinson. Feeling yeah. the way the music is Well, you need to look <laughs> like one of those lions or the Eurasian bulls that they would have had to fight in, in, the, in the circus. Yeah, yeah. So, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I'm waiting for the day when I see you looking like a raging bull, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to ask one of my ex-girlfriends then. <laughs> yeah.